Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys and uh, grateful that you're here. Um, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team. And um, I'm so thankful that you decided to spend a portion of your Sunday with us. And uh, if you're looking for a place to call home, I hope Hill City becomes that place for uh, you. Um, we believe it's a great place to connect to Jesus and connect to people. And uh, if it's not a great fit and you're looking for another church somewhere else, um, we can help you do that too. So we just want you to have a good church home and just love that you're here. Um, how many guys were here at the Christmas Spectacular? Just like, yeah. Um, so much fun and such a great night and um, just so grateful that y'all you guys showed up in the rain and um, not the best weather, but the best people, right? Like that was, that's, and so such a fun night and just so grateful for it. And we'll, we'll run it back again next year. We were trying to, Lacey described it as sometimes we just throw spaghetti at the wall. And um, that was one of those things. And we're like, we'll see if people want to do this. And it was great. Yeah, it was such a great night. And so look forward to it again uh, next year. But um, we're in this series called The Good News. And um, the good news, um, this is a little bit of a test uh, over these first two weeks. All right, so the good news, um, there's another word in the Bible that is associated with the good news. It's the same, the same phrasing. What is that word? Gospel. Good job, you all. All right. Um, who is the good news about? Ah, here we go. All right, you guys are doing good so far. All right, maybe that's a low bar, but you're doing really good. So, but we, um, we're going to keep talking about this good news all the way through uh, Christmas because obviously Jesus is the good news and Jesus is what matters and, and Jesus is the hope of the world and this is what we believe. And so we've been looking at, you know, what is the good news really for? What is it really? And taking a different look at this gospel and why it's so important for us to understand the gospel. Now, here's the third question to see if you've really been paying attention. There's a phrase or a word that always has to be um, involved when we talk about the gospel. All right. And if we don't have this word when we're talking about the gospel, we're missing on what the Bible actually talks about when we're talking about the gospel. We've got Jesus and there's this other thing. What is that thing? What's that word? The kingdom, yes, right? That the kingdom of God becomes so important in, uh, in this and why it's so critical for us to understand that this whole kingdom of God idea is so tied into how the Bible talks about the gospel. And if we don't talk about the kingdom, then we aren't talking about the gospel, okay? And so um, today, um, there's today's message... Um, so sometimes uh, I'll do like very practical messages. Sometimes I, I, and most of the time I do messages that, and this is what I love about, because I'm fascinated by the Bible. I love like linking things in and trying to look at some interesting components of scripture and how it ties into us. And, and, um, but, and then sometimes I do like more on the aggressive side of, of sermons. And today's on the more aggressive side. Okay, so just so you can buckle up a little bit for it, just so you know going into it. Because there's been something on my heart when it comes around the good news and the gospel. And I've been wanting to talk about for a few months now. And I've just been trying to figure out the, the right time to do this. And uh, I've been wanting to talk about the next generation. And uh, so the next generation that's actually coming up. Like it's funny, like some people are like, you know the millennials. I'm like, you millennials are old. Like you guys, like the oldest millennial is 40. Do you know what I mean? So I'm a Gen Xer, but the oldest millennial is 40. So like... They're not the young generation, like, sorry, millennials, like, you aren't it anymore, right? Like, so um, the Gen Zs, now, the Gen Alphas are actually what's coming up, you know, after the Gen Zs. But, um, but you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha are, like, what I want to talk about today. And I want to go off this passage in Matthew 18, but here's what's interesting about 
um, kind of how we think in Western ideology. Uh, so Greco-Roman thought is, is where it started all of this. So if you ever want to know, man, what started all this kind of Americanized thinking or Western thinking, it all goes back to Greco-Roman culture, okay? So if you're ever wondering, what should we do? Just look at what people wrote like during that time, i.e. like what, what does the New Testament of the Bible say and how we're supposed to respond to all this stuff that we see before us because it's the same wave of thinking. Like there isn't really much different. Like if I were to show you um, how the Greco-Romans thought about what is a good looking man and what does that man's body look like, it's no different than today what we see on magazines, okay? So even the way people look and how they think and everything, it's like pretty similar. So it's important for us to think of, because there's some things that uh, were tied into how Jesus taught and speaking into, like, okay, how does the kingdom of God begin to infuse some of this? Well, part of Greco-Roman thought was this fixation on um, who could be the, the strongest, who could have the best military, uh, who could be the greatest, all right, that's what was like so, such a big thing in Greco-Roman thought. And we get consumed with that. We, we think about how many times like you just turn over something like, what's, what's the, the best places to eat? What's the greatest places to eat, right? We get fixated on lists, the greatest places to eat, the greatest places to travel, um, the greatest like athletes. We get in arguments about that stuff. We, we talk about the greatest cupcakes in Richmond. That one's easy, that's pearls. But like there's, there's like the, but like we, we get in like these like fixation on all these things like, what is the greatest? But when we get fixated on the greatest, like some things can start happening. And so I wrote this down this week that when we get fixated on the best, we'll always come at the expense of someone else. So fixating on the best, meaning like, man, I just want to be the bestest. I want to be the best, the best, the best. It doesn't mean you can't be successful. It doesn't even mean that you could technically, you can't be the best at something. But if your fixation is to be the best, it'll come at the expense of someone else. However, fixating on the gospel will always uplift and care for someone else. And so when we begin to think about it in this way, if you want to like move up the corporate ladder, cool, do that. Like, I don't care, but like fixate on the gospel while you're doing it. And so there's this idea of like, all right, what does this mean now? And so this idea of the best and the greatest and everything, the disciples, the people closest to Jesus thought this and wanted to know the answer to this as well. And they're like, who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God? And this is part of what um, Jesus begins to speak into and how we, can, how we should start thinking about the next generation because I want you to see how Jesus actually responds to these guys. In Matthew 18, it says this. About the time the disciples, and again, if you're not familiar with scripture, um, the disciples were the people that were like the, the closest followers of Jesus, okay? The disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. So you can just picture this, right? Like in this kind of grouping, and typically when they would talk, they would be in like a circle. And, uh, and so, or at least a semi-circle. And um, he brought this child in. Now we don't know how old this child was. Um, it's, it's questionable. Some, my guess is some people think it's like probably between like six to 10 years old would probably just be the guest simply because by the time you got to be a 13 year old, um, you were essentially considered an adult. All right, so, which is like humorous. Like, Lacey and I were talking about this week that, like, at our kids' school, they're not allowed to cross three chopped. And I'm like, back then, man, like, they were adults, like, at 13 years old. And it's like, even in some parts of the country, in the world right now, like, 13-year-olds are like, to, as like a rite of passage, they go kill a lion in, like, Africa. And like, and we're like here, and we're like, you can't cross the street at 13 years old. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, what are we doing? But anyway, um, then he said, I tell you the truth, look at this, unless you turn from your sins and become 
like little children, look at this. You will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And he, he's saying, like, hold on a second. I want you to see this next generation that's coming up behind you. And I don't want you to ignore them because that was easy for them to do back then in Greco-Roman culture. When you were young, you, you, didn't, you kind of brought nothing to the table. But Jesus is like, no, if you don't actually see this next generation and become like the next generation, then you will never enter my kingdom. And you will never know what the kingdom of God is actually like. He continues on. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes this little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. So get this. Jesus is saying, if you ignore the next generation, you are ignoring me. If you ignore what they're doing, if you, know, if you ignore them and don't take care of them, if they, like you are ignoring me and you are ignoring my kingdom. So you actually don't know the gospel and you don't follow me. He's adding some weight here, isn't he? But then he says this, but if you cause one of these little ones, let me just highlight that part. If you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. So Jesus has this incredibly heavy teaching. This is not um, casual in any way, shape, or form. And, he, and he's, he's really, um, when people are like, what's the good news and what's the gospel? And he's like, let me tell you about what the kingdom of God is like. And let me tell you like, what you should be like and who you should think like. And, and if you don't do this, then guess what? You actually don't know the gospel. You could say you know the gospel and you could say you're following me, but you're actually not. And you won't experience like the kingdom of God now or later. And so Jesus is actually having like a pretty intense conversation with his disciples. And here's the first thing I want us to take in, that Jesus says to be childlike, not childish. You see, there's a piece of this that I want us to take in. He's like, I'm not saying that, like, you'd be childish and immature, and Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to know my kingdom, then you need to be childlike. And here's what I think he's talking about in childlike, that we're humble. All right? So when we think about humble, he actually says this. Like, if you're around a child, there's a level of humility within a child, isn't there? Because guess what? They're just trying to find their place in this world. Like if you're with a four-year-old, like we have a four-year-old with Ruby. Like Ruby's not cocky. Like she's not arrogant. She doesn't even know how to be like prideful. Do you know what I mean? And so, so she's trying to find her, her place in this world. Like she's, she's trying to see and she's looking at people like, like, like bigger and taller and, and older than, than her. And, and it's like she's just wondering, like, like, who am I in this world? Like, everything is just so massive to Ruby. Like, it's just so, like, she's, she looks at everything with wonder because everything's just new. And when you see the, the bigness and the greatness and how, how just massive all this stuff is, it, it drums up a humility inside of you that you know inherently that you are not a god. And there's no reason for you to be arrogant or prideful. Because like in the scheme of all of this, we're, we're small. 
And there's this level of humility that should become like ingrained inside of us. He's like, those are the people who experience me. Because you know what? Like when, uh, when Ruby does something wrong and, and we uh, discipline Ruby or we, we talk to Ruby, whatever it is, you know, there's a level like where she's just like, I'm so sorry. You know, because like she, she's like, there's a humility there of being like, I, I just, I don't want to live that way. And so there's, there's something, it's like, man, those are the people that actually say, here is the sin that was there. And they're like, I'm acknowledging the, the sin that was there and by, out of humility, then this, this is how I experience the kingdom of God. And this is how I actually begin to experience Jesus. There's also curiosity, all right? There's a curiosity with, we're state curious. And then in this curiosity with a kid, think about this. Um, for when a child is born, um, by the age of two, their brain weighs 30% more than it did when they were born. And the reason why it, it weighs 30% more than when they were born is because um, there are these synapses. There, there's trillions of synapses that are tri- like just firing from zero to two years old. And they're just firing like crazy with these kids. And it actually makes their brains weigh more. And, and it's firing like crazy because everything is just like... Like, they're just taking everything in. And so they're so curious about everything. And so there's this, you can see why, like, parenting is important, right? So, so get this. So from zero to two years old, um, they're, they're, they're shaping how they see the world. So you can imagine when a child gets abandoned at zero to two years old, this is what, why it fractures a child so early. And so we see like zero tears, all this stuff is happening. By the age of, some, some people say six, but it's between six and eight. But between six and eight years old, um, almost your entire worldview of your, your personal identity, um, your, 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 uh, the way you view relationships and people and everything is shaped by six to eight years old. So you can imagine why Jesus pulls this young child in and says, don't you understand that if we don't care about this, do you even care about people? Do you, like at the heart of the message of the gospel is that Jesus, he says, like, you got to love your God, you know, Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love others. Well, if you don't love the next generation, then it's like, I'm not so sure you even love me. And so he, he's, he's putting this like incredible weight on parents in the community of people around them. And there's, he's like, be childlike. Like, I want you to see this. And he says, be humble, be curious, and then trusting. All right? So be childlike is humble to be curious and to be trusting. Um, a three-year-old or a four-year-old doesn't come up to an adult and doesn't, and like if an adult says something to them or a parent says something, and they're like, mm, I don't trust you. They don't do that because what's hardwired in, inside of that is they're looking for authority. They're looking for discipline. They're looking for people in, in pl- places of authority. And they understand that, like, no, there's something inside of us. Like, I, want, I want to trust something. And, and, and so what Jesus is saying, that, like, man, like a, like a little child, you need to be humble. You need to be curious. You need to be trusting of me, of Jesus. And, and that's how you experience the kingdom. But he doesn't just leave it there. He actually takes it a, a little bit further. And in verse 6, if you go back to verse 6, he says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Let me just 
paint this. If, if any one of you walked up here and I put a millstone around your neck, you would immediately fall. Millstone was like a, a huge, they, uh, donkeys would, would use it to, to mill grain and, and do some other things with it, and, and olive oil and some other stuff too, but, but it was like unbelievably heavy. And so if we tied a, a millstone around your neck and if I were standing here, you would just immediately just fall right over. And I just want you to like feel how aggressive this language is. See, um, we've talked about this a lot, but like, you know, the water, the waters back then, the seas back then, like it was, you know, people just, it was so chaotic and no one, everyone was scared of the water typically because it was like untamable. And so drowning was the worst way to die, the worst. And Jesus is actually painting this picture and he's like, yeah, but if any of you, any of you, and he's talking to parents here and he's talking to the community of believers, if any of you causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and drown. He's like, do you, do you feel that? Like, do you, like, this is like aggressive language. And he's like, but if you want to know the gospel, you need to care about this. And I started thinking a lot about this because, um, we should be acutely aware of the needs of the next generation of people. Think about when you were a kid growing up in church. Didn't you just wish they paid attention to you? Didn't you wish you could ask questions? Didn't you wish that they would try and shape things for you as a, a younger person coming up? And, and what we're seeing here is like, it doesn't mean that we um, ignore older gen. Listen, the older generations now in church are Gen Xers like me. Um, uh, baby boomers, and occasionally, like, the, the greatest generation, they typically call them. But, like, occasionally we, get, we, we have those. But typically in the churches right now, it's, it's baby boomers and Gen Xers are the older generations. Um, right now, you millennials are in the middle. And then you've got Gen Z and Gen Alpha coming up. And so we, we begin to take a step back. It's like, we're not ignoring millennials and Gen Xers and baby boomers. We're not doing that. But all of us, listen, all of you older millennials to the baby boomers, your focus and our focus should be like, how do we do whatever it takes to make sure the next generation like, knows God and experiences a church in a community that paints this beautiful picture of what it means to follow him because that's what we believe is the greatest way to live. That's what we believe is, it gives us the most hope and the most purpose. And how do we do that? And what does it look like? And that's what our focus should be. I remember um, recently I was in a, uh, in a grouping of pastors and uh, Andy Stanley was talking about the next generation. And he said, he asked this question. He says, how much is the next generation worth? And the answer to that question, for any person that ever gets involved in a church, the answer to that question is whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Not well, you know, maybe we should just dedicate 10 grand to that. No, if it takes 100 grand, then we put 100 grand to it. If it takes a million, we put a million dollars. Yeah, but, but what about, like, the adult stuff? Who cares? You're a freaking adult. <laughs> like, like, we do whatever it takes for the next generation. Whatever it takes. And whatever that means. God has always commanded his people to take care of and train up the next generation. This is not something new. When Jesus is, is talking about this, this is not anything new. 
There, there's, he's speaking about what has always been in the people of God, what has always been in the, the commands from God. Look at, look at this in Deuteronomy 6. This is God giving word to the Israelites. And he says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And he's saying, man, you, if you are a parent in particular, now we're going to get to the communion in a second, but if you're a parent in particular, like this is what you're repeating to your kids again and again and again and again. This is how you're raising your kids. This is your responsibility as a parent. They repeat what, what God has done. You show them what it means to love the Lord with your, all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and, and repeat these things over and over and over again. We talk about them in the car. We talk about them on the way to, the, like to, the, to our river house. We talk about them on the way to, 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 to school. And, and, we're, and we're, we're doing these things. And I'm not talking about, you always have to like talk about scripture. I'm just like, let it be infused inside of your conversation of keep pointing our kids to Jesus. Sometimes that means the scripture, Sure. But sometimes that just means principles. And to keep doing this, that is your responsibility as a parent per God. Joshua 4, he says this. He said to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants, meaning your, the next generation coming up, ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Here's what happened. They're getting led into the promised land. And, and Joshua and, and it says, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to put these stones here so that whenever anyone comes to these stones, they'll, they'll know that, that God parted the seas. They'll know that God uh, saved us. They'll know that, that God delivered us from the evil hands of Egypt. They'll, they'll know that God provides. That they'll know that God always like, fulfills his promises to his people. They'll know that who God is and how great and mighty God is. And we'll just keep telling our kids this. And every time they see the stones, they, they just keep get passed on to the next generation, next generation, next generation. And that way no one ever falls away and wondering who God is. He's like, we'll just, we'll just keep doing it. He says, with Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before, before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you always may fear the Lord your God. Like, just like, we know who God is. And he says to the community of people, so this would be like equivalent right now, to, to saying like, all right, God has talked to Hill City, to you parents, and to us as a community. So if you're thinking to yourself right now, whoo-wee, thank God I don't have kids today, you're in this. <laughs> you're in it. You are part of the dialogue. You are part of what it means to usher in the next generation to the kingdom of God. You are part of when Jesus was teaching. He was not just talking to parents. He was talking to parents, but he was not just parents. He's saying to anyone who says they follow me, this is a responsibility. And here he's saying, and this is like hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, but he's like, to all my people, he's like, tell your descendants. And look, they didn't do it. The people of Israel didn't do it. And here's what we see just a few chapters later in the book of Judges. After that generation had died, right, the one that was so closely following God, Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. 
They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. And we could sit there and be like, man, why didn't they just, why didn't they pay attention to what happened before them? The reason that they didn't pay attention, the reason that they turned there is because the people before them and the generations before them abdicated the responsibility that God had put on them. And so the next generation forgot about everything. So we can, if we want to, say, oh, look at, these, look at these kids these days. Look at these college students and look at these high schoolers and middle schoolers and, and, and elementary school, it's whatever. But like, but like we, look at these kids, man. They don't know God and they don't know anything. Guess whose fault it is? Not theirs. And so we begin to see that, yes, um, at some point they got to make a choice whether or not to follow Jesus. Absolutely. Every single one of you guys. For those of you in here that said that you made a choice at some point to follow Jesus, at some point you, you chose to have your own faith. You did. But it's a responsibility of the community of God's people and the parents of these kids to be raised. And it's like, no, you inherit this piece of what it means to follow God. You inherit that piece. And then, yes, you do have to choose sometimes. But the responsibility of the community of God and the responsibility of parents is like, no, no, we are raising and we are showing and we are training up and we are doing everything we possibly can to make sure this next generation knows who God is and what he does. Here's the craziest part. Gen Z and Gen Alpha is the most unchurched generations in the history of our country. So it's also our greatest mission field. So when someone says, what's the, what's the greatest mission for Hill City? I would say this. Our greatest mission right now is all the college students and teenagers and the elementary kids growing up right now in our city. Because they are the most unchurched people in our entire city. And so our hearts should break for that. Now, I know some of you are like, but I'm trying to figure out my own faith. And I get that. And, and I'll talk about that in a second. But man, if you are secure in your faith and you call yourself a Christian, I just want you to feel this today and feel the weight that we have before us. When we think about this, now listen, what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about some formula. This is about accountability. I understand, um, and I've met plenty of parents who really did all the right things essentially. They did the best they could. There are no perfect parents. Like, if you ever meet a perfect parent, they are liars. If you ever meet, like, like, honestly, some of this stuff, like, as parents, and you guys know this, right? You could do all the right things, and your kid could, kid could still choose to do the wrong thing and get themselves in trouble. So I'm not, I'm not talking about some formula that all of a sudden it's like, whoa, look at this. Everyone worships Jesus. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that, like, hey, there's a level of accountability here that you got to take seriously. That is no joke. It's a level of accountability as a parent that you've got to take seriously and is no joke. It's a level of accountability as a community that we have to take seriously that is no joke. We are setting our kids up for failure or success. You know, sometimes people will say things like, man, I knew kids all the time who went to church and, and they were there a couple times a week and now they hate the church and everything else. Like, sure, that happens. 
And maybe they had a horrible experience at church and all that. And I know those things happen. I'm not belittling that. It happens. For, for the better part of a decade, I was very far away from my church. And I, went, I grew up going three times a week. But there's also another part of that story. And that's my story, which is like knowing what, like being raised in it. Guess what? When it came time to try and figure out what my purpose in life was, you know where I went? To this whole Jesus thing that I was raised in. Because I was like, there's something here. Because it was built inside of me. And I figured out my own faith. And made my own decision. But there was a piece of that that I inherited. And so there's that part too. And the, but the responsibility for parents is to put your kids in a scenario that's like, man, they need to know that church is important. They need to know that Jesus is important. They need to know this. And someday so that they can choose to follow him. So some of you guys in here are also, maybe, um, thinking to yourself, my kids are grown. Where was this 15 years ago? Um, here's what I know. Um, God's also a God of redemption. And, and maybe you just need to change the conversation now. And, and maybe you just need to have different kinds of conversations and graciously enter into this conversation around faith in Jesus and begin to parent differently now to your adult kids. And just, it's just going to shift and change. And it's not about le leveraging guilt or anything. It's just like, man, I just want us to feel what God wants for us as a community and wants for us as, as parents. For us, if you're in the community, here, here's like part of like what I've just been thinking too. Uh, our kids are growing up in like such a fascinating time where all these like big conversations are happening, uh, whether it's around politics or race or sexuality, um, even like success and achievement and, and money and all that stuff. And I just keep, I wrote this question down this week. I was like, what is the next generation learning about Christianity through all of this? Like, what are they hearing in their homes? What are they hearing in a grouping of Christians at church? Like, what are they actually learning about what it means to, to follow Jesus in the midst of this? And, and what is this next generation seeing as important? And so um, here are a couple of things that I want us to take in. How do, how do we make a child sin? Um, you know, Jesus says, like, man, if, if, if any of you causes one of these to sin, like, it's about the millstone. So how do we make a child sin? We deceive. And here's how we can deceive kids or students. We can feed them that the wrong behaviors are actually important. Like money and luxury and accomplishments, sports, hobbies, like lack of boundaries, whatever. We can feed the wrong behaviors. And, and we can teach them through our actions in our words, that certain things are actually really important. You know, it's interesting. Um, people in their 20s and 30s in particular right now, if you were to measure generational success with people in their 20s and 30s, um, that's far greater than any generation before them when it comes to, like, money and positions and businesses and everything else. It's, like, way, it's far greater. It's not even close. But the level of depression and anxiety and suicide is also far greater. And, and they've been taught that these things are important, but at the end, it's like, man, it's, it's causing them so much harm. And it's like we deceive them and actually push them into to sin. Uh, we, here's the second thing. We abandon them. 
Here's how we can abandon our kids. There's, of course, like a a physical abandonment, but there's also a level of abandonment where we abdicate our responsibilities to raise our kids and we give it to screens or we give it to, um, like, y'all, like, if, if your kids are having problems with screens, it's not your kid's fault. Like, you as a parent have the right to put boundaries on your kid. And so we, we got to start thinking this part through of like, man, like, some, like there's always something trying to form our kids, spiritually form our kids. Always. And sometimes we have abandoned them and let the world do it. Because we're chasing other things or because we're making other things important. They're being shaped by something or someone no matter what. What do you want that something to be. The third thing is, is we reject them. Uh, we don't listen, adapt, or change. We, we're like, no, this is the way it's always been. And so, no, no, like every generation is a little bit different. And so we've got to adapt. We've got to change. We, we've got to listen. The fourth thing is, is we justify. Um, here's how this can happen. We, we justify our own sin. And uh, rather than taking steps to get better, um, was like, well, I've always been this way. Or um, we justify our own apathy. Well, yeah, I mean, we come, we pop in and out of things with our kids and faith and everything. It's just because we're like super busy. And, and so my question to parents, whenever that happens, I'm always like, then what are your kids going to ever think about faith? They're not just going to magically think faith is important if you've kind of casually engaged it. And so it's important then to take a step in and be like, Man, am I justifying behaviors and things that I'm setting my kid up to actually think this whole thing isn't even important at all? And even around our kids, if you're working with kids and serving with kids and everything, are you justifying things because you're, you're helping shape them in this process? I'm Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, I was, Lacey told me about the story, and then I, I went and listened to it, and um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was around in Nazi Germany, um, he loved uh, working with youth. He was like fixated on youth. And Bonhoeffer only lived till he was 39, but he had this incredible impact in the world and still does today. And um, there's, after he's like known for his great zeal um, for his faith. And so he had this kind of uh, underground seminary he was leading uh, during like the height of Nazism. And uh, this one person came up to him after a talk and said, hey, like you're just so aggressive. And you have so much zeal for this. And he's like, can you, can you just like calm down just like a little bit? And, um, and so like we can kind of get more people in. And he goes, um, hop in the boat with me. So they hop in this boat. And they, they go across the channel. And, and then he, they walk up to the top of this hill. And they look over the hill at the Nazi training camps. And uh, he says this. And there's a bunch of youth in there. And they're being trained for what we know ended up happening in Nazi Germany. And he goes, what we do needs to be stronger than that. Because that is shaping our kids. That is shaping everything. And so what we do has to be better than that. And so here's how I thought about that this week. What we do as a church, or I should say even like the church, capital C, needs to be stronger than what the world does with regards to spiritual formation. What we do collectively as a community has to be way stronger than what the world is doing. Because something is always trying to form our kids.
Here's another piece. The church, our church, will be held accountable for how we engage, encourage, train, and develop the next generation. Our church, not just our parents. Our parents, listen, parents, you will be too. Our church will be held accountable for this. You know how I know that? Because Jesus took his disciples around, and in this group, he said, this is how I know if you know the kingdom of God and you know the gospel, what you do with this little kid. And you're going to be held accountable for that. We're all going to be held accountable for that. Me and Lacey as leaders of this church are going to be held accountable for that. That's how serious this is and why it needs to be good news. So we have to ask questions like, what do we want the next generation to say about Jesus in the church? So what do we want Gen Zs and Gen Alphas to say about Jesus in the church? Do we want them to say like, ah, you know what, they were super apathetic. They were very casual. They were super judgmental. Well, they're already saying that. They, they, but they were like, what do we want them to say about Jesus in the church? Parents, what do you want, what do you, what do you want your kids to say you about you as a parent when it came to faith? Even peel it back a little bit more. What would you have hoped for from your own church growing up? Because here's the beauty of this. Like, we have the opportunity to shape that for our kids right now. Not every student that we have here in this place. So let me end with this. What do I want our, our Hill City kids, youth, and college students to say about our church? Number one, that we listened. We listened. Listening to the next generation does not, again, mean ignoring the older ones. It just means we're doing the exact thing we wish generations before us had done for us. I always say to, whenever I talk to high school students or college students, and I always say stuff like, hey, email me whatever. <laughs> Any question, um, if you don't like something that's happening or if you wish we did something different, I want to know. Because if we need to shift and change and develop, like, I just, I want to do that. And so it's like we want to listen to this next generation of kids. Um, we want to listen in a way with such a humble disposition. Because you know what's not acceptable is when adults do stuff like this. Well, they're just kids. They'll get it at some point. It's not acceptable. And so... A lot of times when we see this stuff with the next generation, and one of the things we talk about as a leadership team, we always talk about this. Hey, when something we don't like is going on in our community, never, ever, ever say or blame the community. We always ask this question, how have we not led people in the right way yet? And so when we begin to take a step back, we have to say, all right, we're seeing what's happening in the next gen. Like, how have we not led in the right way? And what do we want to do? We need to, <laughs> we see so many students and younger people like deconstructing their faith. It's such a, a big term that's going on. Listen, they are not deconstructing Jesus. Here's just the reality. They don't want progressive Christianity, y'all. They don't. Progressive Christianity is weak. But they don't want conservative Christianity either. You know what they want? They read what Jesus taught and they're just simply saying, I want this. Because when you put something before Christianity, it always corrupts and distorts it. And they want, I want Jesus, 
And I want what we see in Scripture. I don't want the political Christianity. I don't want this junk that we see everywhere around us. It's, I want this. Like, this is what, I'm, I'm not even like, this is what all the data says and research says about, like, young kids committed to their faith. This is what they're saying about the older generations. They don't want to hear you say, well, Christians vote this way, because that ain't true. Well, Christians think, no, it's like, no, no, I'm asking you to look at what Jesus taught. That's what I want. Second thing is we invested. This is a huge deal. And, and um, listen, um, we're going to, over the next probably year or so, I'm mean, going to see a lot of construction going on. Um, we're going to do some stuff in here. Um, and, when, and when I say that, like, we're just going to get walls. Okay, I'm not like, um, <laughs> someone was like, man, you're going to do work in the auditorium. I was like, you know what? Like, what do you want for the auditorium? Like, we were actually talking about the architects, and I said this. I, I was like, listen, when someone comes in our auditorium, like, I just, I, I don't ever want them to be like, ooh, this is nice. I just want people to walk in the auditorium and be like, we're just here. Because, like, as adults, we just shouldn't care. We're not here to be, we're not here for a show. We're not here to see lights going everywhere and, like, the haze coming up and all that. Like, we're not, like, <laughs> we're not here for that. You could find that. If that's your thing, go ahead. But, like, that's not what we're here for. So, like, as adults, yep, we want to get walls, okay? Like, it'll just be better. It'll sound better. All right, that's why we want to do it. And a stage that doesn't creak, good God. Like, that's all, like, <laughs> that's all I want, okay? But we also have this opportunity um, where we're going we're gonna to renovate the entire kids' area, okay? And um, we'll have, like, almost quadruple the space that we currently use. We have a child development center up there. Um, now, that part I want to do really well because I want kids to come in and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is crazy that, like, they've created an environment for me like this. And so we've been having these conversations about, um, like, what do we want for our kids? And, like, what would be, like, so amazing? And, and even with, like, staff and, like, how we want to add to that and, and all this other stuff. But, like, um, you know, we're like, coming up with this. This is crazy. This is just math. So, like, we were, we're like, all right, you know, it's probably like a couple hundred grand we want to just invest into our kids through, like, adding some staff and just in our budget and everything. And um, it's 200 to 220 grand when it's all said and done. Here's, here's what's nuts. This is just math, okay? If every active adult in our church, including those online, if every active adult gave $2.50 a week more, so we, we came up with about 200 to 220 grand is what we're, we want. If $2.50 more a week for every adult, that would be $244,000. Isn't that crazy? It's just math. It's just like, well, I want to invest in the next generation. I want to do something. Consistently do that. And the last thing there um, is that we're involved. Um, I, want our, I want our students to always be like, man, they just never stop trying. Even if they said, I said no all the time. It was just that I didn't want Jesus, but, but they kept trying. And they kept being involved. I remember hearing a story recently um, about uh, a, a grouping of people who it's such a huge heart for middle schoolers. Um, and so I thought these middle school football games, uh, you guys ever seen College Game Day? 
Have you ever seen that? So the college game day is like they go and they put on this like big stage and everything and they have bands out there and they do some different stuff. It's just like a rallying point um, before a football game. And um, these middle school leaders started going around all the middle schools that like their church like was a part of. And before the middle school football games, they would build this stage and they would have this big like college game day for all the kids. Because they were just like, we just want to let these kids know that we care. And like, and all of a sudden they just started ministering to all these kids. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these church people kept showing up and doing this stuff. It's like we were, we were constantly involved. Even last week when uh, we had the baptisms, you know, Caro, who's our next gem pastor, um, she had uh, her son who's in high school, Riley, he got baptized. And then her daughter, Lucy, who's in middle school. And there's this funny like, moment that, well, it's funny to me. Um, when Carl was asking, like, who do you guys want to baptize you? So for us here, when you get baptized, you can choose who baptizes you. Um, and we like to have someone who's like had like a large impact in your life do the bapt- you know, baptizing. And so Carl asked Riley and Riley said her, and then, which is awesome. And then he asked Lucy and Lucy said, Jamie, so obviously, as Kara is like knowing that Riley chose her, would think my other kid would too, right? And maybe Kara will get paid back in Christmas. I don't know. But like, there's, she chose Jamie. You might know she chose Jamie. Because Jamie cared. I think about that moment because all of us as kids want someone to care. Jamie did. Of course, Robbie and Cara care. But there's something special about that moment where Lucy's like, I want my middle school leader. So that's what I want. That's what I want to see. That's the heart I want for our church. To do whatever it takes to reach people. And so this next generation doesn't go by and wish that Hill City cared and wish that their parents cared. We take a minute and just want everyone to process this.